0: Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to the book of Obadiah, the prophecy of Obadiah. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black pew Bible in the chair in front of you. It looks like this, the Christian Standard Bible. You can turn to page 819. It's on page 819 to page 820. This is the shortest book of the Old Testament. The shortest book of the Old Testament. There are 66 books in the Bible. There's 39 in the Old Testament. I don't know how many you've read in 2019. But if you haven't read Obadiah, we're going to read the whole book right now. It's 21 verses. And you will you can check that book off of your Bible reading plan if, um, if you're trying to get through the Bible this year. Obadiah will be done in a few minutes here. Okay? So it's um, the book or the prophecy of Obadiah. Now Obadiah is not prophesying, unlike most other prophets, he is not prophesying about his... Nation of Israel, he's prophesying about a neighbor nation, Edom. Edom are the um, the nation of Israel descended from which man? Who's the father of all the Israelites, ethnically speaking? Well, Adam is, but Israel, right? Israel is. Now, um, Israel had a brother. Israel had a brother. His name was Esau. Esau's descendants are the nation of Edom, and this prophecy is against those descendants and their neighboring country on the other side of the Dead Sea, southeast of the Dead Sea. Okay? So here's a vision of Obadiah. Hear God's word. The vision of Obadiah. This is what Yahweh God has said about Edom. We have heard a message from Yahweh. An envoy has been sent among the nations. Rise up and let us go to war against her. Look. I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your home, on your heights, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there, I will bring you down. This is Yahweh's declaration. If thieves came to you, If marauders by night, how ravaged you would be. Wouldn't they steal only what they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, wouldn't they leave some grapes? How Esau will be pillaged. His hidden treasures searched out. Everyone who has a treaty with you will drive you to the border. Everyone at peace with you will deceive and conquer you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you. He will be unaware of it. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, Yahweh's declaration, will I not eliminate the wise ones of Edom and those who understand from the hill country of Esau? Temin, your warriors will be terrified so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. You will be covered with shame and destroyed forever because of violence done to your brother Jacob. On the day you stood aloof, on the day strangers captured his wealth, while foreigners entered his city gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were just like one of them. Do not gloat over your brother in the day of his calamity. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Do not, boast, do not boastfully mock in the day of his distress. Do not enter my people's city gate in the day of their disaster. Yes, you you do not gloat over their misery in the day of their disaster and do not appropriate their possessions in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off their fugitives and do not hand over their survivors in the day of their distress. For the day of Yahweh is near against all the ethnic people groups. As you have done, it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. As you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the ethnic people groups, all the nations, will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. But there will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossess them. Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire. Fire, And the house of Joseph, a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore, no survivor will remain of the house of Esau. For Yahweh has spoken. People from the Negev will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites who are in Hala and who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors will descend, will, I'm sorry, Saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau. But the kingdom will be Yahweh's, the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father, we pray now that this word that we have just thanked you for would dwell richly among us. This is your word, not only to Edom, but it was even given to Israel. And not only to Israel, but to all ethnic people groups. And not just all ethnic people groups, but even to your holy nation, the church. And so we pray that you would teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us in all righteousness so that we may be complete, competent, and equipped for every good work. We thank you for the unique contribution Obadiah makes to our Christian lives. We pray that you would give us understanding of this book now. In light of the lack of knowledge we have of this book and even of the setting of this book. In Jesus' name, amen. Earthquakes this week. Um, earthquakes this week provoke earthquake thoughts from Christians. When I was growing up, whenever we had an earthquake, and I was actually talking to one of my uh, relatives earlier, even this week, and uh, this person was recounting to me a story of whenever there would be an earthquake, she would grab her relative, and she was a kid at the time, and she would grab her rel- her older relative and say, "Let's pray. Jesus is coming back." Every time there's an earthquake. And I grew up um, as well. You know, the Bible talks about how there will be earthquakes in the end times. And so every time you hear an earthquake, Christians, biblically thinking, will start to run towards sometimes the end times. And there will likely be a, an earthquake when Jesus returns. Um, but that's not the only thing to think about with earthquakes. Um, Oh, when we think about, when we think about um, the, the judgment to come, when we think about Christ's coming, everyone wants to know whether Christian or non-Christian. When I prayed right now for those who are affected by earthquakes, and they also ask questions. What's the meaning of this? I saw one news report where the guy said this was a scared, like he was in his late, late 60s probably, and he said that was the scaredest I ever was in my whole life. That's pretty amazing. That causes people to ask some questions, right? What is this world about? Is, is there going to be a final judgment? What, how is this world going to end? And the answer to how this world is going to end, that's a co- common question. Do you know the answer to how the world is going to end? Look at 2, Corinthians, or 2 Peter. Keep your finger in Obadiah. But we talked about the day of the Lord, or the day of Yahweh. Um, look at 2 Peter 3. This is, I want this verse to be in the back of your mind as we're reading Obadiah. Now, Obadiah's hearers did not know 2 Peter 3 because it wasn't written yet. But we do, so we can keep this in mind even as we read Obadiah. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And we're going to go all the way to verse 13. 2 Peter 3, 8 says this. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. Here's how the world's going to end. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to what? Perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a what? will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. That's the skies. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. They'll be exposed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. You hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So here's the day of God, the day of judgment. When Jesus returns, there will be a judgment. The skies will be destroyed or dissolved, and they'll burn away, and everything on this earth will be exposed for a final judgment. Even the resurrection. There will be a resurrection in the final judgment. And in that, everyone will stand up and be in their bodies to stand judgment before Almighty God on the great white throne judgment, according to Revelation 20. And and that will be the end. When Christ returns, there will be a final judgment. Everything will be exposed. There's a lot more details we could fill in, but um, everything will be exposed. There will be a final judgment. And then there will be a new heavens and a new earth for those here on this earth, renewed, a new earth where we'll reign with Christ forever. And those who are apart from Jesus will be thrown into the lake of the lake of fire that's prepared for the devils, the demons. They will suffer there, but those who are apart from Jesus Christ will suffer there under God's wrath forever and ever and ever. That's how the world's gonna end, okay? With the day of the Lord, the day of God. So now let's go back to Obadiah. As we think about Obadiah and as we think about the day of God, what do you want to do? You want to face this judgment with confidence, don't you? You want to be confident. If the Lord comes today and there's a great earthquake and the Lord comes back, um, you want to be ready for that day. You want to confidently face judgment day. So here's the question. How can we know that we will end up on the right side of the judgment? Now, we've asked that question before, but Obadiah gives us a little bit of a different answer. So let's ask that question again. How can you know that you'll be on the right side of the judgment when God divides his people against those who are not his people? Because the end is getting closer every second. Every second we get closer to, to January 2020, January 1st, right? Years come and go, don't they? And the older we get, the faster it goes, doesn't it? It's about to be, we're, 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 we, in July, we have just started We started the second half of the year. We're on the second half of 2019, and 2020 is fast approaching. Every second, time just marches on, not only to January 1st, 2020, but in the same way that, that um, we're gonna blink and the new year will be here. In a very similar way, to use James' words, there'll be a vapor, a mist, and we'll be standing on judgment. It's coming, it's coming for all of us. And this judgment is permanent. There's no second chances. There's not, you get a judgment and then you have a second chance. To repent or not, it's the final judgment. This is scary. So, what is the one sure way, according to Obadiah, what is one sure way we can make sure we're on the right side of judgment? Obadiah's answer is not the typical answer. But here's one sure way you can be ready for the judgment. Obadiah and the Lord give us an answer this morning, they guide us. And here's our answer, and it's the main goal of the sermon. And I'm going to put it in a little couplet, a rhyme. Turn from your Abrahamic evil to bless God's messianic people. Okay? Turn from your Abrahamic evil to or toward blessing God's messianic people. That's how you make sure you're on the right side of judgment. You turn from your Abrahamic evil and you turn to God's, to bless God's messianic people. So that's what, that's what this is about. This book is about blessing God's messianic people. Now to Edom, Obadiah was writing hundreds of years before Jesus. Now we don't know when Obadiah wrote. Some people say it's towards the end of, right before the exile. Some say it's the first of the minor prophets, way before either exile. So we don't know exactly where it comes, but the, the message for us today is the same, even though we don't know the original readers, that message was still the same. You need to not Curse God's Abrahamic people, you need to bless them. Remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12:3? I will bless those who bless you, and those I will curse those who what? Curse you. So God's gonna give Abraham a great nation. And when you bless Abraham and that great nation, you are blessed. And when you curse that great nation, you are cursed. There's how you know where you're gonna end judgment day. What do you do with God's holy nation? What do you do with God's people? Turn from your Abrahamic evil of cursing those people. Turn from your Abrahamic evil to bless God's messianic people. I'm gonna give you an answer on who, who God's people are there with messianic people. Now, why? The book of Obadiah gives us three reasons why we need to turn from our Abrahamic evil of cursing God's people and turn to blessing God's people. Here's the three reasons. I'll give them to you now and then we'll go through them one at a time. And I'm only gonna make major application at the third point, okay? Here are the three reasons to turn from your Abrahamic evil to bless God's messianic people. Number one, Edom was judged. The reason why you should turn is because Edom was judged. The second reason is because all nations or all ethnic people groups will be judged. Second reason, one, Edom will be judged. Two, all ethnic people groups, all nations will be judged. And third, God's ethnic people group, God's people, God's holy nation will be restored to reign. That's why you should turn from your Abrahamic evil of cursing them and bless God's Messianic people because Edom was judged. All ethnic people groups will be judged and God's ethnic people group, God's people group will rule. They will be restored to rule. So you might as well bless them. Now, Let's look at these one in time. Number one, first reason why you need to bless God's messianic people and turn from your evil is because Edom was judged. How do we know evil, evil? was or Edom was judged? Look at verses one through four. You have the judgment declared. It says in verse one, this is what the Lord God said about Edom. We have heard a message from Yahweh. An envoy has been sent among the nations, the ethnic people groups. And what's the message to the nations? God says to the nations, rise up and let us go to what? War against two, her. And who's that? Edom. God is calling all the nations to fight against who? Edom. For their sin. This is a declaration of judgment on the nation of Edom. Look at verse 2 through 4. The the declaration continues. Look, now he's speaking to the, the nation directly. He says to this nation, Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in clefts of the rock. So, Let's just take this a little, little by little. This country thought they were significant. God will make them insignificant. Right now, America is the superpower. God can make this nation dust. And in one, one day, if Christ doesn't come back for another thousand years, this nation will be dust and a distant memory. And, and that's what God does. He, ri, nations rise in significance, and they fall in, into insignificance under God's judgment. And that's true of every nation, including this one. And, and so, so it is for Edom. They will be deeply despised. In verse three, your arrogant heart has deceived you. There's pride there, there's arrogance. You who, now, there's a symbol here of their arrogance. Arrogance is having a puffed up view of yourself, right? A high view of yourself, an overly high view of yourself. Well, Edom, it says, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your home on the heights, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Some of you know the, some of you seen, um, I don't remember which Indiana Jones movie it was with Petra, right? That, that a palace kind of in the rock right, um, that's, that's Edom, that's where Edom is, and so that area, it's a lot of hill country, it's a lot of hills, so they live, they don't live quite on sea level, they live up in the hills, and so their height of where their town, where their towns are settled, is symbolic of their height of their own view of themselves, they're arrogant, they're proud, they're cocky, and so in verse four, because they say, who can bring me down to the ground, look, we're so high up, though you, so, though you seem to soar like an eagle." Because even even eagles made nests in those rocks where they lived. They were living as high as the eagles. Even though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, symbolically speaking, even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. They lived 5,000 feet above sea level in many of their areas. And God says, you are arrogant, and I'm going to bring you down. That's the declaration of judgment. And then he defines this judgment in verses 5 through 10. So he he declares that judgment, and then he defines it. Look at verse 5. Here's what the judgment looks like. If thieves came to you, if marauders by night, how ravaged you would be. You'd be ravaged by thieves and marauders. Wouldn't they steal all that they wanted? So things are gonna be stolen from you. In verse six, the same thing. How will Esau be pillaged? His hidden treasure searched out. You will get robbed. You guys are about to get jacked. People are gonna steal from you. Marauders, thieves, they're gonna pillage you. They're gonna find your hidden treasures and they're gonna steal it all. Look at verse five again. If grape pickers came to you, wouldn't they leave some grapes? Do you know what that's talking about? Do you know the, the laws for Israel with grapes and the vine, or the harvest? What are they supposed to do with the harvest? What are they not supposed to pick? The corners, right? So they have the fields, and they're not supposed to pick the corners of their fields. Why? So that, that, so that they can have compassion on the poor. You should have extra money in your budget for the poor. To give away, you should always have something to give. And so they would not be allowed to pick all of their grain so that they could have compassion on those who have need. And what is God saying here about Edom? The grape pickers, are they gonna leave any grapes for you? No. Not only are you going to be robbed, you are gonna be completely destitute. No one's gonna have compassion on you. No one's gonna have any extra for you in your judgment. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Everyone who has a treaty with you will drive you to the border. Everyone at peace with you will deceive you and conquer you. Those who eat your bread, so they're friends, right? You eat bread with friends, like Jesus did with Judas. Those who eat your bread will set a what? Will set a trap for you. He will be unaware of it. You will be unaware of it. You will be betrayed by your closest friends. So you're robbed, you're destitute. There's no compassion on you. You're betrayed. Verse eight, in that day, this is the Lord's declaration. Will I not eliminate the wise ones of Edom and those who understand from the hill country of Esau? Wow, you'll be cut off from wisdom. All of those who are smart, all of those who are wise to help Edom go forward and live well as a good society, they will be cut off in their wisdom. And so you don't even have wisdom in your land. Not only that, in verse nine, what about your mighty warriors? At least we've got strong warriors, right? No, verse nine, Temin, your warriors will be what? Terrified so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. So you're robbed, you're destitute, you're betrayed, you're cut off from wisdom, you will live in fear. Your mighty soldiers would live in fear. And then, lastly, in verse 10, you will be covered with what? You'll be covered with shame and destroyed how long? Forever. Now, that could be hyperbole, but as Christians, we know that destruction for judgment before God is forever, right? They're, They're in a lake of fire that burns with sulfur forever eternal conscious torment in hell, the lake of fire. But here, God is saying to Edom, you will be judged. You will be destroyed forever. So God de- uh, declared the judgment. He, de- he defines the judgment. And then he defends his judgment. He tells you why, why he's judging them. Here's God's defense of his judgment in verses 11 or verse 10, the second part of verse 10 to verse 14. Now here, by the way, this is the main goal of the passage right here in, this, in these verses. Here's where I'm getting the main goal. Okay, now look at what they did wrong. Why are they being judged? Why the harsh judgment on Edom? Here's why, verse 10. Because of violence done to who? Because of violence done to your brother, Jacob. Now, Jacob is the father, his name was changed to what? Changed to what? Israel. So what did Edom do? They mistreated or they're violent towards Israel. They didn't bless those who were Abraham's people, the promised people. They cursed them. How do they do it? Look at what they did in verse 11. On the day you stood what? Aloof. They were indifferent. On the day strangers, notice the progression. First, they were indifferent. On the day strangers captured his wealth, um, Israel's wealth, while foreigners entered Israel's city city gate, while foreigners um, entered the city gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were just like one of them. First, you didn't care about them. You were aloof. And then when they start to invade, guess what you did? You invaded with them. Verse 12, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, before we get to verse 12, that's their sin. So their sin is they're aloof and they invaded the people. They saw an opportunity. People are taking advantage of a man down. People are robbing the man down or his city. And guess what they did? They joined. And that's your brother, Esau. This is Jacob, Edom, this is Israel. This is your brother, the promised one. The blessing is going through man. You should know the blessing because you're you're also a son of Isaac and a grandson of Abraham, Esau. You should know better. But instead of knowing better, you took advantage of an opportunity to oppress your own brother. And so God gives them commands in verses 12 through 14. Do not gloat over your brother in the day of his calamity. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Do not boast, boastfully mock in the day of their distress. Don't enter my people's city, city's gate, city gate in the day of their disaster. Yes, you, don't gloat over their misery in the day of their disaster. Don't appropriate their possessions. Don't take it for yourself in the day of their disaster. Don't stand at the crossroads to cut off their fugitives and do not hand over their survivors in the day of their distress. Not only do they gloat, they plunder them. Not only do they plunder them, in verse 14, there's a complete betrayal. When there are fugitives, so people are invading the cities of Israel. They're invading Jerusalem. When your city gets invaded, what do you do? If you're part of the city that's getting invaded, what should you do? Run, right? You take your family and you run. So you're fugitives, you're fleeing. And guess what Edom was doing? They're at the crossroads. What are they doing? They're cutting off, their people, and and basically arresting them and bringing them back to the oppressors for money. That's how bad, it, it went from indifference to plundering to complete betrayal. Like literally siding with the enemy and turning your own brothers over to oppression. It's like the tax collectors in Israel, right? When they were for Rome. In a very similar way, they sided with the enemy of God's people. Complete betrayal. And so Psalm 137, verse seven says this. This is a prayer from the Psalms. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites said that day at Jerusalem. Destroy it, destroy it. Down to its foundations. Wow, that's what, that's what the Psalmist said that the Edomites were saying. As Jerusalem was following, falling and being plundered by the Babylonians, the Edomites were saying, destroy, it. they were cheering on the Babylonians. And the Psalmist saying, Father, remember what they said. Remember and judge. In Amos 1, this is from last week. You guys are in Obadiah. If you just turn back in your Bible to Amos, Amos chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says this. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing who? Edom. I will not relent from punishing Edom for three crimes, even four, because he pursued his brother with the sword. He pursued his brother with the sword. He stifled his compassion. He didn't care when they were running away. He stifled his compassion... His anger tore at him continually and he harbored his rage incessantly. Therefore, I will send fire against Temin and it will consume the citadels of Basra. Here, and you can read Ezekiel 35 for another prophecy. The point is, Edom betrayed their brother, the nation of Israel, and God does not tolerate it. God hates it and God will punish them for it. Now, why is it a big deal to not gloat and to not be indifferent, and to not plunder. Why does it incur judgment? I already read it to you from Genesis twelve 3. I'll read you the verse, Genesis twelve three. I will bless those who bless you, God said to Abraham. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. There it is. I will, I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So how does the blessing come? Through Abraham, through Abraham's offspring, through Israel, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, right? They're supposed to keep God's covenant and shine so that the nations would look at Israel and say, who is your God? Yahweh is your God? We want to know this Yahweh. And they would, they would, that's the way that Israel would evangelize, so to speak. That's how they would be the royal priesthood for the nations is by their witness to bless the nations. So if you blessed Abraham and his offspring, Israel, you would be blessed. And, if, and God would curse anyone who treated Israel with contempt. So for those who are outside the Abrahamic covenant, You're still under the Adamic covenant and the Noahic covenant as God's people. We are to be fruitful, multiply, and what? Fill the earth. We're to bear God's image. We're to not murder. We're to not lie. We're to not commit sexual immorality. We're to honor marriages. We're to do all of these things. Whether you're under the Abrahamic and Israelic covenant or not, you're supposed to do these things because you're human, made in God's image. And yet they turn their back on these principles and sin against God and against God's people. So what's the main goal? Turn from your Abrahamic evil to bless God's messianic people. Why? Because Edom was judged. But let's have a second reason. Not only was Edom judged, who else will be judged? Look at verse 15. For the day, look at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near against who? All the nations. And there, nations means all ethnic people groups, not just nation states, political states, all ethnic people groups. God will be against, the day of the Lord is against all ethnic people groups. Why? Why? Why is it against all? How do we know it's against all ethnic people groups? Why is it against all ethnic people groups? Because verse fifteen says against all ethnic people groups, and because look at verse fifteen again: as you have done it, as you have done it will be what done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. Why will all the nations be judged? Because all of the nations treated Israel with contempt. So the favor will be returned to you. If you didn't care about Israel back then, that's treating them with contempt. It's not just—it's not just not doing anything bad. A lot of times we define sin as, "Well, I didn't do anything wrong," but if you don't do the right, we call that a, not the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. When you don't do what you're supposed to do, that's a sin. So if you don't bless God's people, you're treating them with contempt. Some people say, "I don't have any problem with God. I don't. I don't. I don't have any opinion for or against God. I'm just indifferent." So I didn't do anything wrong. Well, being indifferent towards God is sinful because he's God, he's creator. And so they were, they, they're gonna have the favor return on them. You treat the people of God with contempt, it'll return on you. Look at verse 16. Why will this happen to them? As you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all ethnic people groups will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. So all of the nations will be drunk in judgment. They drunk celebrating. You you, you come in and you invade Jerusalem. You take over, you take all their wine and all their stuff and you start drinking and celebrating your victory. It says, oh, you want to get drunk with with their wine? Well, you're going to be drunk with judgment. All the nations will be drunk with judgment like it's never been done before. That's what verse 16 is saying. And why is this happening? Why is this judgment coming? Going back to verse 15, what is near? Look at verse 15 again. What is near? The day of the Lord. The day of Yahweh. What is the day of the Lord? Here's a, here's a definition of the day of the Lord. I sent you an email. If you're a member of our church and you're on our church email group, I sent you an email yesterday with, with the day of the Lord, with all these verses. I don't have time to go through all the verses on the day of the Lord, but you can check out that email. And I even um, attached a, a PowerPoint presentation from Dr. Jason Derucci, DeRucci a, a professor of um, Old Testament, now at Midwestern Seminary. And um, he has this day of the Lord Um, study. And so I'm just going to summarize what the day of the Lord is. Here's here's how the NIV study Bible, the biblical theology study Bible defines it. It's an important prophetic theme. What is the day of the Lord? It's an important prophetic theme. It has two aspects. It will bring judgment upon God's enemies and blessing upon those who follow God's ways, okay? So what does the day of the Lord bring? Judgment and blessing, curse and blessing, judgment and salvation, judgment for God's enemies, salvation and deliverance for all of those who trust in God and his ways. That's the day of the Lord, okay? Judgment and salvation, or you could say salvation through judgment, salvation in judgment. It's a day of mourning, and there's a bunch of verses for this. This is on the email, but it's a day of mourning. It's a day associated with God pouring out his Holy Spirit on his people, It's a day of darkness, not light. It's a day of kingdom restoration and bounty. It's a day of storm, darkness, and devastation. A day of judgment and salvation. A day of our joy in God and God's joy in his own. Zephaniah 3. It's a day of war. A day of plunder. A day of earthquake. A day of natural disasters. It's a unique day of God exaltation, creational transformation, and pervasive holiness. It's a day of complete burning of the wicked but joy and victory for the righteous. It's a day of judgment against all the ethnic people groups standing against God's people and salvation for God's people. That is the day of the Lord. And so what is God saying? You know why you need to bless God's people? Here's the second reason. Why do you need to bless God's people? Because the day of the Lord is coming. And if you're part of one of the ethnic people groups, and everyone's part of an ethnic people group, if you're part of the ethnic people group that does not bless God's people, then you are, you are treating them with contempt and you will be cursed by God on the day of judgment. Now, when this day of judgment came, let's, 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 let's do some New Testament work here, okay? When the day of judgment came, remember um, it says that John the Baptist is going to be like Elijah coming forward to be the forerunner from the Lord. So John the Baptist comes and he says, I baptize you with, wa- with water, but someone's coming after me who's gonna baptize you with, with what? With the Holy Spirit and Fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. So, so John is thinking the Messiah is going to come. He's going to bring the Holy Spirit, but he's also going to bring fire, the fire of judgment. And, and he even says the, winnow, you know, like the winnowing fork is there. It's going to pick up the stubble, the hay, and throw it into the fire. You're about to be judged. You better get ready. You need to repent because the kingdom of God is near. That's what John the Baptist said. Then Jesus comes and he says, repent because the kingdom of God is here. It's here. It's near. It's here in me. And so Jesus started proclaiming the kingdom of God, Right? And so everyone started rallying around Jesus, and then John got thrown in prison. Remember that? John got thrown in prison, but Jesus is supposed to come to bring the day of the Lord. And when Jesus brings the day of the Lord, it's judgment on the enemies and salvation for God's people, right? So they're not going to be in jail. But guess what? John the Baptist, where John the Baptist was? He was in jail for preaching the truth that you shouldn't sleep with your brother's wife to King Herod, one of the King Herods. So John is in jail, and he's looking at his watch. There wasn't watches in those days. But he's like, man, what day is it? I'm still in jail. When is Jesus going to do his thing? I mean, I saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. He's the king. He's the Messiah. The Obadiah says there's going to be a kingdom here. Where is it? And so John sends messengers. Can you go ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah or not? Because I don't know what I'm still doing here in jail. This is Matthew chapter 11. So John sends his messengers to Jesus. They get there to Jesus and they say, "Uh, Lord Jesus. Are they going to call him Lord Jesus? Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. John is asking if you are the one to come or should we expect another? And Jesus looks at the messengers and he says, tell John that the blind see, lepers are healed, the sick are healed, the the blind see, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. Go tell John that. Okay. So they go back to John and, John, you're still in prison, but the dead are raised and uh, the blind are seeing, so... I think he's saying that he's still the Messiah. And then Jesus says, you know, um, blessed are those who aren't stumbled by me. But then he starts to commend John the Baptist as the Elijah to come. But here's the point. John wasn't wrong to to expect a kingdom. John wasn't wrong to be surprised that he's in jail. When you read Obadiah and you read the Minor Prophets, when the day of the Lord comes, it's a day. You think it's a a 24-hour day, you'd assume, right? If Jesus is coming, he's bringing the kingdom. Why am I in jail as your forerunner? That makes no sense if I'm reading the Prophets. But Jesus says, don't stumble. I got a plan. It's a little bit more nuanced than you thought. I am bringing the kingdom because no one can heal the blind or heal the sick and give sight to the blind and unstop deaf ears and raise the dead and cast out demons. No one can do that but me. So clearly the kingdom is here, but it's not coming the way you think, John. You just got to wait in prison. And John waits in prison all the way until he gets freed. How does he get freed? He has his head cut off. He's executed. And he dies. And you're like, where's the kingdom? He's <laughs> like one of your kingdom servants, your main kingdom servant before you came and he gets his head chopped off and the kingdom of God is supposed to, to, to judge God's enemies. I mean, God's enemy just cut off his head. Where's God's kingdom now? Well, as, as we think about that, you, you know, so as, as Jesus comes, Jesus comes and how does, he start, how does he start the kingdom? How does he inaugurate the kingdom? How's he gonna bring the Holy Spirit? Where's the judgment gonna come? Jesus starts, he does the Lord's Supper, Right? And he says, he pulls up a cup and he says, this cup is the what? New covenant in my blood. And he says, the new covenant is here. He dies on the cross for sins. He gets the judgment, the darkness, the earthquake. Doesn't it happen? does not the earthquake? Jesus gets all of that on him. And then then 50 days later, after he rises from the dead on that Sunday, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit comes down. And right before that, even the Israelites ask, Lord, is the the kingdom coming now or is it going to come later? And Jesus says, it's not time for you to know, just wait for the Spirit. He's gonna come and he's gonna empower you. And so, they come, so the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the people to spread the gospel. One day, Jesus will come in the clouds and he will come to bring judgment, the final judgment. And he calls us right now to trust in him, to keep approaching him, to keep spreading the gospel, to keep spreading the good news of his kingdom, his sinner-saving, curse-reversing reign until he comes back. So that's the day of the Lord. Has it come? Yes. Is it coming? Yes. It has come on Christ. And then part of it is coming through his people. The judgment came on Christ, and the blessings came on Christ and his people. And when Christ returns, the final judgment will come. Here's the point, brothers and sisters you need to repent, you need to turn from your Abrahamic evil, and to bless God's messianic people. Because if you don't, you will be judged. On the day of the Lord when he returns. If you're not a Christian, you're here. It's the same message for you. God will judge you for your sins if you do not turn to God's messianic people. And to turn to God's messianic people, you got to turn to God's messiah. And his name is Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, here's the good news God has a messiah, Jesus Christ. He came to die for sinners and rise from the dead because we are sinners and we deserve to go to hell and judgment in the lake of fire for our sins because we're made in God's image, we're made to know and enjoy God but because we rebelled god sent his son the messiah to, to live the life we should have lived to die on the cross for our sins under the judgment of god the day of the lord the wrath of god on jesus and then he rose from the dead on a sunday after dying on a friday so that everyone who repents from their sins and trusts in jesus can avoid judgment because the judgment falls on jesus instead of you so if you're not a christian here's the good news jesus came and he already took your judgment if you will repent from your sins and trust in Jesus. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, thank you for coming. We're glad you're here. This is God's message to you. Repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, you'll be made part of God's messianic people. And when you're part of God's messianic people, you are now blessing them rather than treating them with contempt. And you will know that you're on the right side of the final judgment. For Christians... Here's the application for you. Understand the day of the Lord's judgment is coming for us as well. We will be judged. We will be judged. The fruit of our works, even as Christians, will be judged. Your bad works, your good works, will be judged as well on judgment day. The day of the Lord is judgment day. Let that sink in. Christians, we love the fact that we're justified by Christ, declared completely righteous, and we are. You're forgiven of all your sins if you're a Christian. Praise God. But do not let Satan take biblical truths like that to minimize the judgment in your heart. We need to fear. Feel the fear. Not not be driven by the fear, but you need to feel an appropriate weight that you will answer to God for your life and for the way you have interacted with God's people. So turn from your Abrahamic evil to bless God's messianic people. Why? Because Edom was judged. Secondly, because all ethnic people groups will be judged. And lastly, third, God's ethnic people group, God's holy nation will be restored to reign. Look at verses 17 to 21. 17 to 21. How will God restore the reign of his messianic people? Verse 17. So even though there's a day of judgment and the nations will drink judgment and get drunk on judgment, but there will be a deliverance, a salvation on Mount Zion. Where's Mount Zion? What is that city? What's another word for that city? Anybody know? Jerusalem. On Jerusalem, Mount Zion, on that mountain, on Mount Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There will be salvation and it will be holy. The city will be holy. The, the people will be holy. They will be delivered. The house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossess them. Do you know that ever since Israel was exiled from Jerusalem in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar, except for a brief period during the Maccabean revolt, they have not had control of Jerusalem. Like full freedom of Jerusalem. They haven't. They had a for a season, they have in, in one sense right now, they have political control of Jerusalem. But they can't do whatever they want in Jerusalem. They can't just set up their, their temple there with the Dome of the Rock there because that would start a, a war in the Middle East with Islam if they just destroyed the Golden Dome. But so, so the point is that Israel has never fully occupied Mount Zion ever since 600 years before Jesus came. So for the last 2,600 years, Israel, God's people, have not ran Jerusalem. But here it says there will be deliverance on Mount Zion and it will be holy. The house of Jacob, they'll dispossess those who dispossess them. Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire. So there's a fire of judgment. The house of Joseph, a burning flame. And the house of Esau will be what? Stubble, there'll be hay, there'll be straw. Some of you guys lit fireworks this past 4th of July. Like a, um, yeah, it just, just easily lit. Hay here, easily burned. Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire. The house of Joseph, a burning flame. The house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore, no survivor will remain of the house of Edom for Yahweh has spoken. God will completely destroy and burn up Edom for their sins. Now that completely burn them up, burn them up that's hyperbole. That's not literal. It's not lit- He's not literally gonna burn all of them up because if you turn back to Amos 9, Amos 9 verse 12, Actually, don't turn there yet. Just keep your finger there. It's like two pages back, but I'll get there in a second. Uh, Let's continue, verse 19. People from the Negev will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead, the exiles of the Israelites who are in Hala and who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. So they're in the the exile. They're spread in the diaspora. All of them, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem who are in the the Sepharad, They will possess the cities of the Negev. In other words, brothers and sisters, look up here. Israel will possess their land. Israel will possess their land. And there will be no nation controlling it or hindering them from possessing their promised land. God will give it to them. Jerusalem will be retaken, so will the land completely. And God's enemies will be burned. God's enemies will be burned. How does God, before I get to 21, I'll close with 21, but before I get there, how does God deliver Mount Zion? How does he deliver Jerusalem? Well, what does he do? To deliver his people from their enemies and, and here's my clue, and from their sins, which is their greatest enemy, and Satan, their greatest enemy. How does God deliver Jerusalem, Mount Zion? By sending his son to hang on a tree in Mount Zion, outside the city wall. He's going to save his people and deliver them by sending his son to die for them. So Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, um, on him, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgression. He died for our sins. And then his seed, his people, will be saved through him. And so who are God's people? Who are God's people? Who are God's holy nation, his royal priesthood? Jesus dies and rises to deliver them. So who are, who are God's holy people, his royal priesthood? Those who are united to who? To Jesus. That's what the New Testament teaches, right? The messianic people, the, the people who are for Israel's Messiah, those who are united to Israel's Messiah become the Messiah's people. And he represents Israel. So God's people are those who are united To Israel's Messiah because Israel's Messiah delivered Jerusalem by dying in Jerusalem for their sins. That's what he did. And does he die only for Israelites? Does Jesus die only to save Jews and Israelites? Yes or no? No. Does he die to save Edomites? It says here there are no survivors from Edom. Right? Doesn't that say that in verse 18? No survivor will remain from the house of Esau. The fire will consume Edom. Is that true? That's true. Figuratively speaking, turn two pages back to Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, this is, this is quoted in Acts 15 by James in the Jerusalem council. Amos chapter 9 verse 11, in that day I will restore the fallen shelter of David, that tent of David, Amos 9, 11, I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that, so he's going to rebuild the, the Davidic house, the messianic king's house his palace, his kingdom, so that they, God's people, the Messianic people, the Davidic people, so that they may possess who? The remnant of who? Of Edom. And all nations that bear my name, that are called by my name. Here's what, you know what James does in Acts 15? Do you remember Acts 15? They're debating what should we do with the Gentiles who are converted? Should we make them follow our old covenant laws or not? And they quote Amos 9, 11, and 12. And what are they saying? Hold on, James and Peter and John, as they're there with the Jerusalem council. Let's not make these... Gentiles become like Israelites. Amos 9 said that God would save a remnant from Edom. That God would save people from every ethnic people group. Everyone who's called on the name of Yahweh. That's why we say, Romans ten thirteen. everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Will be saved. That's Joel chapter 2. And so here, Edomites will be saved. Not all of them, but a remnant will. And from all the ethnic people groups, from the European Americans and the Asian Americans and the Hispanic Americans and the African Americans and the other nations in this world and all the other ethnic people groups in this world, from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, there will be a remnant to come from them who will not be judged in hell for their sins, but will receive the judgment of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus, and they will be saved on judgment day. That's your only hope. That's your only hope, sinner. That's your only hope, human. Human. All humans are under God's judgment. Even Israel is going to be under God's judgment, right? The only hope is to unite yourself to the, mess, to the Messiah. And when you do, you, you, you unite yourself to Israel's Messiah, and you become part of the Messianic people, the royal priesthood and the holy nation. And so we'll go back to verse 21 now. Last verse. Last part. Oh, yeah, last verse here. Saviors will ascend Mount Zion. That's weird. Saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule. Saviors? I thought there's only one Savior. Who's the one Savior? Jesus. Are there other Saviors? It says Saviors. There are those who are saved. And so some people translate this as those who have been saved, but the best translations are Saviors. Who are the Saviors who are going to ascend Mount Zion and then burn the enemies and rule over Edom, rule over the nations? Who are the Saviors who are going to rule over the nations? I heard the answer. So let me give you a Bible verse for this. Do you remember what Paul said in First Corinthians 9? To the Jew, I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. To, the, to, the Gentile, to those under the law, I became like those under the law. To those without the law, I became like one without the law. Even though I'm under the law of God, I become all things to all people that I may by any means necessary save some. And then Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm doing everything I can to save some. And he tells the church, what should you do? Imitate me. Do everything you can to what? Save some. Guess what you are? A savior. You're not the savior. Jesus is the savior. But you're only a savior, not because you die for anyone's sins. You don't die for anyone's sins. We're sinners, right? We can't die for anyone's sins. We can die to point people to the savior who died for their sins. We could die to point them to Jesus. And that's what saviors do. Those who are the messianic people are saviors because they do everything they can to save somebody. Paul said that to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 16. He says, says, remember your teaching, watch your life and your doctrine. So by this, you will save your hearers. You'll save yourself and your hearers. You know Timothy could say, I'm not the savior. Jesus is the savior. And Paul's right. And Timothy's right. Jesus is the savior. But Paul doesn't hesitate to say, hey, save yourself and save your church. So we save, we are saviors who ascend Mount Zion to worship God and to be the people who are disciples. Those who are God's people are the royal priesthood and the holy what? Holy nation, if you're in the Messiah. And you have a mission to disciple all ethnic people groups, to save them. And in that way, we exercise God's rule. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and disciple all ethnic people groups with my authority. You rule them, not with your own rule, Bethany Baptist Church, but with my rule. I have the authority, you go tell them that if they repent, they'll be saved and trust in me. And if they don't, that they're gonna be judged. You tell them that. You exercise my rule in Bellflower in Southeast Los Angeles and you save some. You do everything you can to save some and you do it with your church family together. Saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau. And this rule is not just right now until Christ comes. When Christ returns, I do believe that there's gonna be a millennial kingdom. Now, our church can disagree on that, whether you're premillennial or amillennial or postmillennial. I'm premillennial. So I believe Revelation 20, verse four and six says that we will reign with him in the kingdom before he comes back out in Revelation 20, uh, 10, where, the, where the, um, the dragon is re-released for the final battle. I do think there's a millennium there. And in that millennium, it says that those who are with Christ will reign over the nations on the earth. So we reign now through gospelizing and discipling. When Christ returns, there is that—at least in my view, you could disagree. There's a millennial reign where we reign with Christ over the nations, and that's also fulfilled here. In uh, they will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau. We will rule. But is it? But are we the ultimate king? And is it ultimately our throne? Finish the verse. Finish the book. What does it say at the very end? But the kingdom will be whose? The Lord's. This is the Lord's kingdom. This is Yahweh's kingdom. This is Christ's kingdom. And guess what he does very, very graciously? He shares this kingdom with who? With us, with us sinners. And so what do we do? Because he shares this with us, we turn from our Abrahamic evil to bless God's messianic people because judgment is coming and God's Abrahamic people are his messianic people, the people of Christ. Do you remember when King David was dying? Let me just tell you a story here to, to kind of close this application and just bring it together with some application. When King David was dying, he was old and he was in bed and he couldn't he, he wasn't active anymore. He was in bed and his son Adonijah wanted to take the throne. So Adonijah had a conspiracy where he said, you know what? I'm gonna conspire. He takes David's general Joab and one of the prominent priests and he says, we're gonna go have a feast with all the king's, son, king's sons and we're gonna have this great celebration and then you're gonna declare me king here and I'm gonna be the king over Israel. Meanwhile, there's only one son who wasn't invited, Solomon. And because Solomon's not invited, if that's the crowning of the king, the coronation, he's gonna be seen as a traitor and they could kill Solomon, who's the threat to the throne. So Solomon's mom, Bathsheba, and his prophet Nathan and others come to David while David's dying in bed and could barely speak and move. They say, king, don't you know that Adonijah is gonna be the king? Who do you want to be the king? He says, Solomon. And so David tells them what to do. They make Solomon the king. Adonijah, runs to safety on a I think he runs to a four-horned altar. So does Joab. They run to the altar and they, they look like the traitors now, because Solomon's the king. And now that he's crowned the king, you're either loyal to him or guess what you get? You get judged for treachery. And so Adonijah pleads for mercy, Joab pleads for mercy, and they both end up you could read the story in First Kings one and two. You could read the story there in First Kings one, I think. But at the end they get killed. They get executed for being treacherous to the king. And that's what Psalm 2 says. Psalm 2 says that God has set up his Messiah and the nations rage and God in heaven laughs. And what does he say at the very end of Psalm 2? He says, or he says um, this is what God says to the Messiah, his king, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of earth, the earth your possession. This is God speaking to the Messiah, you will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now kings be wise receive instruction you judges of the earth serve Yahweh with reverential awe and rejoice in trembling pay homage to the son the davidic king pay homage to the son the king or he will be angry with you and you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment all who take refuge in this messiah son are happy So here's the closing here's the closing exhortation is pay homage to who to Christ But we got to extend that because this Obadiah is not about blessing the Messiah. It's blessing the messianic what? People. Is that biblical? Or am I making that up? John 13, 20 says, Truly I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send, Jesus said, Anyone who receives anyone I send, the one who receives me, um, or receives whoever I send, if you receive them, you receive who? Me. And if you receive me, Jesus says you receive the one who sent me. In John 15, 18 through 20, Jesus says, If the world hates you, it hated me before the world hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you're not of the world. I have chosen you out of it. That's why the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If they bless you, they will bless me. If they treat you with contempt, they're treating me with contempt. Mark 9, 40 and 41, Whoever is not against us is for us, Jesus said. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Anyone who blesses a Christian, they do it ultimately because they're a Christian and they won't lose their reward. The church has been joined to Jesus through the new Israelic covenant. How you treat the church is how you treat who? Jesus. It's how you treat Jesus. So what's the application? Bless God's messianic people. If you're, God's word to Los Angeles and to the society is bless the church by allowing them to have freedom of religion in their nations. You don't have to make Christianity the religion of the nation. You shouldn't actually, you can't do that. But what we're saying as Christians is every nation, United States of America and all nations, what they need to do is recognize a freedom of religion to let God's people do their thing, among all the other ideas. If you treat the church with contempt, you'll be treated with contempt on judgment day. What does this mean for Christians? Not only should we worship Jesus, and honor him, we should not destroy our local church. How do you treat your 82 members, 81 members of this church? If you're one of the 82 members of this church, how do you treat the other 81 members of this church? Do you bless them? Do you pray for them? Do you serve them? Do you care about them? Do you weep with them? Do you rejoice with them? Do you even know them? Do you know all of their names? There's only 81 others. It's not that many. We do have a directory with their faces. Do you know who they are? Or do you, are you indifferent and aloof the way Edom was aloof to Israel? What about our church as a church? Should we, shouldn't we cooperate with other churches? If we, if we say that our church is the only true church or Southern Baptists are the only true church and we don't treat other churches well, is that treating God's people with contempt? Yeah, it could be. They're not in our denomination. They don't have the nine marks of a healthy church. They're Calvinists, they're Arminians. They don't agree with us on every jot and tittle. If you're not, if we don't have a cooperative spirit of blessing gospel churches, then we're treating churches, we're treating God's people with contempt. So we need to know this. If you're a child, so this means we need to know and love our church. Children, love the church in truth under Jesus as a way of loving Jesus. Parents, help your children see that you cannot disciple your children by yourself. You need the church to help you disciple. Spouses, love your church together as a team and let the church love and serve your marriage. Singles, devote your, single time, your time that's not strapped to a nuclear family. Devote that time to be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth with disciples of Jesus Christ. If you're discouraged in your Christian life because the church has hurt you, the church has hurt and discouraged us. It does. Our church discourages people. I discourage you, you discourage me. We do. We, we hurt each other. We're surrounded by people. In a, we're surrounded by hurting people. Let's walk together and encourage each other. If you feel weak spiritually, bless the church by sharing your weakness. If you're stumbling in your Christian life, bless the church by confessing your sins and asking for help. If you feel hard-hearted and stubborn in your heart, bless the church by asking another church member to cry out with you to God that he would soften your hard heart. If you're encouraged and strong, what does it say here? Don't gloat over those who are weak, right? Don't gloat over them. Serve them. Bless them. God gives us his tangible love in a tangible people, the members of a Christian church. So turn from your Abrahamic evil to bless God's messianic people because Edom was judged. All ethnic people groups will be judged on the day of the Lord and God's ethnic people group will be restored to reign in Christ Jesus. What did they do wrong? They stood aloof. They gloated over their brother in the day of his calamity. They rejoiced over their downfall. They entered the gates and plundered the people. Then they betrayed them to their oppressors. And what is Jesus telling you today? Don't gloat over the church when they fall, but weep with their church in their calamity and discipline. There are dying churches out there. This church was a dying church. First Baptist Church of Hollywood that we prayed for right now in our pastoral prayer, they're a dying church. Don't gloat over your church's strength compared to another church's weakness. Weep with them. Cry over the dying churches in Los Angeles and all over the world. They're dying. Don't boast but humble yourself and pray for God's people. Pray for the people here. Pray for other churches. Don't enter into the midst and plunder them to get members for our church. Oh, your church is dying. Why don't you come to our church? Our church is better. Weep with them. Pray that their church would grow. We treat, the way we treat them is the way we're treating Christ. This is not the time to be self-centered or church-centered or BBC-centered. It's not about us. It's about the Lord and his glory how many times have we gloated over a church's failure instead of wept for them? How often have we boasted in ourselves in our local church to the detriment of other gospel churches? How often have we sought to plunder other church members for our church and resources for our church rather than serve those churches sacrificially? We deserve God's curse. We haven't wept. We haven't prayed for churches. We haven't served churches sacrificially. But there is someone who has wept. There is someone who prays for churches regularly. There is someone who gave his life for churches. Jesus Christ. He became a curse, even though he never cursed God's people. He became a curse so that we can be saved, so that we can bless God's people. So my final call to you, brothers and sisters, is bless your local church, bless this church, if you're a member of this church, and bless other churches by praying specifically that God would give you a bigger heart for his messianic people everywhere. If you don't pray for God to give you a heart for God's people, you'll be aloof, indifferent, hardened, arrogant, and judged in the end. But if you ask God to soften your heart, to care for this church, these members, and other people, you will grow in warmth, You'll bear their burdens. You'll rejoice with those who rejoice. You'll weep with those who weep. You'll share their burdens and blessings and you will be prepared for the judgment that is coming really soon. The day of the Lord is coming soon enough. Are you ready? Here's how you get ready. Turn from your Abrahamic evil to bless God's messianic people. Father, give us this heart. Thank you for the members of this church. Our church has done a lot of good, even in the midst of our failures, Lord. This church gives money to missions. We're in the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. We give to Shepherd LA. We bless other, we bless other churches this week. We bless Casa de Oración this week. We bless other pastors. Thank you for giving us that heart. Help us to grow in it. Thank you, Father, for these brothers and sisters. We have so much grace to celebrate and we have so much to grow in. So help us to turn from treating other Christians and churches, true Christians and true churches with contempt and help us rather to bless them sacrificially, lovingly as an individual and as a church family. Thank you that you've already helped us do it. Thank you that you're growing us in it. Help us to grow in it as we prepare for judgment day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a minute now. If you are a